Good morning, everybody, and welcome to today's devotion. We are in the book of 2 Kings chapter 5. I hope you've already uh, read this chapter and written your journal, what God said to you. Um, when I was reading this, there was one particular verse that caught my attention and made me think about my first trip to Africa um, about 25 years ago. We spent several days ministering um, in the rural area of Kenya with the Maasai tribe. And my interpreter and I would go, you might think village to village, but the Maasai don't really live in villages. They live in what's called bomas. Uh, each family unit has its own boma. Think of an enclosure, okay, uh, with several huts or what we think of as small houses, but they're really huts inside it. That boma would be made like a fence, Okay, made of brushes with thorns and stuff to keep wild animals out. So it was for protection. And inside that was one family unit. And the tradition among the Maasai is that a man would have a hut, house, inside the boma for each of his wives and her children. And so it wasn't unusual for a Maasai man to, to have two, three, four Wives. In fact, the majority had more than two. And so each one had their own house within the Boma. And so we would go to these Bomas, and sometimes when I would preach and share the gospel, it would be with a small group because it was a small Boma. He only had himself and maybe two wives and their kids. Another one might be larger, and it might be a larger crowd and share the gospel. Now imagine with me, uh, people in that setting commit their lives to Christ. And our missionaries continue to work with them in the days and months and years afterward. Let's say one of those husbands commits his life to Christ, becomes a Christ follower. The question is, what were we supposed to tell him when it came to his wives? Because the Bible teaches, you know, one man, one woman in, you know, a faithful marriage. What were we supposed to tell him? Is he supposed to get rid of all of his wives and you know, choose the one that's his favorite and and stay with her and her kids, but, but get rid of the others? What were we supposed to tell him to do? Because in that, in that culture, um, women were in arranged marriages, arranged by their father, um, and usually to older men who would uh, give their, her father so many cows because cattle, and the milk from that and so on is vital to their existence. And so women are in a very vulnerable, um, dependent situation there. Uh, so let me ask you, if you were with me in one of those Bowmans and one of those men accepted Christ, what would you tell them to do? It's not an easy question to answer. I mean, we can sit here in America where we don't have all the pressures, all the issues, all the cultural history, and et cetera, and say, oh, well, no, no. Would you tell him to put those other wives out? So that, and, and they probably couldn't survive on their own without, without him because he owned everything. They would have nothing. Not an easy, there's not an easy solution. And one of the things our missionaries would do is they would teach and disciple those families with the hope that the children, as they grow up, would not carry on the tradition of having multiple wives and so beginning to change the culture. But they did not tell these men, kick your wives out, abandon them, because that is a different kind of sin, isn't it? Not an easy solution. And you say, well, Steve, why are you talking about all that? Well, in chapter 5, 
we have this very well-known story of Naaman, who was a respected uh, military leader among the Arameans, the country of Aram, which today would be in the location of, of part of Syria, if you will. And he has a leprosy, but he's a great leader and very respected. His king thinks highly of him. And he gets permission to go to Samaria, to the northern kingdom of Israel, where the prophet, excuse me, Elijah is living. And uh, Elijah tells him to go down to the Jordan River and dip himself uh, seven times. And he does that, and he's healed of his leprosy. And in so doing, he becomes convinced that the God of Israel is the only God, the true God. So look with me in chapter 5 at verse 15. When he returned to the man of God, when, when Naaman, after dipping in the Jordan River, comes back to Elijah, he came and stood before him, before Elijah, and said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. And then he offers a gift. And uh, Elijah turns down the gift. But then Naaman asks in verse 17, If not, if you don't want my gifts, please let your servant at least be given two mules load of earth. Let me take some dirt from here back to Aram, back to where I live. Um, he says, uh, in, in verse 17, two, two mules load of earth for your servant. Here's why. For your servant will no longer offer burnt offerings, nor will he sacrifice to other gods. I'm not going to offer any sacrifices, any burnt offerings to these idols and pagan gods, because I know there's only one God now, but and the Lord, and it's all capital letters in my New American Standard Translation, meaning that in the original Hebrew, it's Yahweh, the holy name of God. He said, I know there's only one God. It's the God of Israel. It's Yahweh, the Lord. And I want to take some dirt back from here to where I live so I can build a place. And in that place, I will offer my sacrifices to Yahweh, the God of Israel, the only God, and worship him. I won't offer sacrifices to anybody, anybody else. Um, and then he continues in verse 18, in this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. May God forgive me. May God have mercy on me. Help me. When my master, now who's, who is Naaman's master? The king, the king of Aram who worshiped these pagan gods. When my master goes into the house of Rimon, Rimon, I'm not sure how you say that, to worship there, this was, um, was, um, one of the, the gods, a Syrian god uh, there in, in Aram, in Damascus, if you will. So it was a pagan religion, a pagan, uh, pagan god, an idol. And the king of Aram would go there to worship him. And then he, Naaman says, and he leans on my hand. In other words, Naaman, uh, Naaman rather was expected to accompany the king because when the king, it's like when the president of the United States goes out, it's a big deal, and, and there are certain people that have to go with him. Well, when the king of Aram would go out, Naaman was one of the attendants, one of the military people that had to go with him. And when he would go to that temple to worship this pagan god, guess what? Naaman had to go with him. And so he says, when, when the king goes to, to here to worship this god, and I go with, and he leans on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of, of Rimon. When I bow myself in the house of, of Rimon, uh, the Lord 
the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. So he's, he's saying, I know there's only one God and he's the only one I'm going to sacrifice to and the only one I'm going to worship, but I will have to accompany my king to this place. And when I do, out of respect, I bow my head. Um, and he's being very upfront about it and wants God's understanding and pardon. And he's talking to Elijah the prophet about this. Now, what would you have told Naaman to do? Notice what Elijah says in verse 19. He said to him, Elijah said to Naaman, go in peace. Go in peace. And so he departed from him. Um, Naaman didn't tell him to give up his job. I mean, Elijah did not tell Naaman, give up your job. Um, now, we know that there's only one God and we're not to worship idols. We know that early Christians would not refuse, they refused to worship the Roman emperor who was presented as divine. But this story is a reminder to us to not always be harsh with people in different parts of the world, in different cultures that we don't understand that are unlike anything we have ever lived in. So I go back to the Maasai in Kenya. And this man, his whole life, his culture for centuries, multiple wives. And we're teaching them, one, one man and one woman, and hopefully as time goes forward with their children, that changes. But are we to tell him, you got to throw your wives out? You pick your favorite, but throw the rest of them out and their kids, and they're on their own. What do you do? These are tough questions. And I guess the only point I want to make is we know what we are supposed to do. But when it comes to people who live in some cultures that we can't even wrap our mind around, maybe just maybe we need to show a little bit of patience and grace rather than being so harsh and so black and white on everything because Elijah showed Naaman grace, didn't he? Go in peace. Um. See, everything doesn't always have a black and white answer, even though most of the time we wish it did. But it doesn't always, does it? Sometimes we have to take people from where they are and on a journey to where they need to be. And that takes grace and patience and kindness. And I just thought this was an interesting story to remind us that things aren't always as black and white as they seem to us just something to think about. God bless you, and uh, I'll see you tomorrow.